As we've stepped out of religion to begin to pursue the mysteries and the secrets of Yahweh, one thing that has been glaringly absent in my own view as we've done conferences all around the world is the lack of attendance by the youth. The youth are our future. Where are they? The Nest has put together a new school called Remnant Rising specifically targeting the future generations. It's going to be run by Rick Nevenhays and Elijah Ward and they are excited to have your, your youth on this journey discovering who they are as sons of Yahweh. Their heart's desire is to inspire and encourage you to step into the fullness of who you are as a son, searching out Yahweh's mysteries and releasing His kingdom into all creation. They will be teaching on identity, being positioned as sons, governing as sons, walking with the beings of faith and purity, walking in dominion, and a whole lot more. There'll be two sessions every week, every Tuesday and Friday, and they're approximately 45 minutes to an hour long each. I don't know about you, but for me, I want for my children, I want my ceiling to be their floor. I want them to go places that I have never been able to go before, but I want them to be a springboarding off of me and off of this knowledge. Give your children this advantage today by signing them up for this particular school where they will learn how to engage those mysteries and those secrets and come out of the religious system. For more information, go to www.thefoundationnest.com, click the Remnant Rising tab. Classes start in September 2020. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in today and welcome to Wisdom's Echo. This is a daily podcast by Origin Gate. My name is Elijah Ward and I'm excited and honored and honestly overwhelmed to uh, to bring an insight of the day to you wherever you're at around the world. You know, this is such a special thing, and uh, I'm really just honored to be a part of it, uh, to be completely honest. So um, I wanted to share today, you know, something that's really been blowing my mind today is how much is hidden and embedded, uh, embedded in the scriptures as you begin to engage, you begin to see so much. It just starts to kind of open up into new realms. And what used to be black and white words on a page opens up into an experiential reality that you can kind of step into and just kind of begin to see and to journey and to experience. And, you know, it, the word begins to come alive, really, as you begin to be faithful to step in. And uh, I want to tell you about some stuff I've been stepping into, but... Um, you know, as I meditate on this, it's interesting. When I, when I first really seriously, genuinely, authentically dedicated the everyday life of who I am to a pursuit of Yahweh and all that He is, um, something really strange happened. And it's that I felt like God spoke to me and said, close the Bible and engage me in spirit and in truth. And that's something that I didn't want to tell anybody else because I was concerned. I mean, why would God say to me to close your Bible? Because in my mind, the Bible was such a, it's like the centerpiece of a Christian's life. This is the, the roadmap. You know, some people call it the instruction manual for, 
you know, for a life in pursuit and a and a a persistent devotion um, to to God and all that He is. But I knew that He told me, "Close your Bible, and engage me in spirit and in truth." And so I began a journey of you know, probably a year to a year and a half, somewhere in there um, of where I where I was not reading the, the Bible. Um, now, I was receiving scripture uh, at church because we, you know, the pastors and teachers would read scripture at church during their message. So I, I was still exposed to it. But what God wanted me to do in my personal pursuit of him was close the Bible and really learn how to engage who he is in who he is and with who he is to open up the reality of who I am. And so the coolest thing happened though, is that I began to really learn how to pray, really learn how to engage in the spirit. My spiritual eyes had been opened to see him, to engage him, to approach him, to witness him enthroned um, on on the highest heavens and to learn how to even uh, a recurring uh, encounter that came back to me was um, was actually me sitting in his lap with him on his throne and he was teaching me how to inhabit a throne and now for some people God doesn't look like that but to, you got to understand that I was learning how to submit to the to the to the love and to the expression of fatherhood and who he is. And part of that was him sitting me in his lap, teaching me how to sit on a throne and, and, and teaching me about what governance and royalty looks like in the kingdom and teaching me and reinforcing the identity that he gave me when he spoke me to existence. And so I was really engaging persistently in spirit and in truth. And then I'll never, ever forget that I went to a friend's house. Um, you know, there was a friend that I had known for a long time, and I knew that he was a passionate, you know, f- just fire-filled believer. Um, and uh, so we had not seen each other in a while. So my wife and I drove over to his house in Florida, in the United States. And, uh, and as he was showing us around his house, he, he walked us into his daughter's bedroom. They had just had a baby girl. And they were showing me the nursery that they had prepared for her. And one of the things that they did was they pulled um, they pulled scripture pages out of a Bible. They ripped them out and they, um, they put them on the wall. And so it almost looked like a Bible wallpaper. And as we were in there and talking and just communing together, um, I remember pausing and looking and reading the scripture on the wall and... Uh, and I remember my first thought was, wow, that's my father. I cannot believe somebody else knows my father like that. And I was reading the Psalms of David, and I realized that an incredible paradigm shift had taken place. And it was that I wasn't reading the Bible to get to know Yahweh. I was actually reading the Bible, and it was reinforcing the relationship that I had developed with Yahweh. And so an entire shift happened, and I felt like in that moment— uh, that he spoke to me and he said, okay, now you can read scripture because now you're reading it from a place of relationship and you're not reading it for sake of relationship. And and so that paradigm shift really has been, I mean, a life-changing part of my relationship with him. So um, that was a really long way of, of, of kind of <laughs> entering into what I want to share today, but I just feel like that's so significant you know, um, this the scripture was given to us as a, a foundation for us to stand on. I've always thought of it as a substrate or a soil 
out of which the biology of our spiritual life really has the opportunity to germinate and to expand and increase and reach toward the heavens. You know, there's nothing more glorious to me than when, you know, seeing plant life and, and uh, especially sunflowers. You know, my wife, my wife loves to, to plant things, but to see those things really begin to reach up and into the heavens, it's just so cool. Um, and that's what the scripture, I feel like, was, was given to us to, to serve that purpose for. It was, yeah, it's a historical record. Yeah, it's full of prophecy that's been fulfilled. And, and, and yeah, it's full of the kind of a, an introspective look into the communion that incredible, powerful men had with the Father. Um, and uh, it serves as kind of a historical and a, a, a spiritual, or I'm sorry, like a, a scriptural framework for us to engage in the spirit. It's great, but you know, it was designed for us to build a life on and, and not uh, and not be the ceiling of everything that we engage. And so as I was engaging the substrate today, I was um, I was in the scripture this morning and something kind of opened up to me. And one thing that's been fascinating me lately is um, just the gospel accounts, the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm really learning how to study them within the context of how they were written. And so when you look at the gospel of, um, you know, Matthew, this was written from a perspective of, um, you know, his natural lineage leading up to the revelation of his divinity or, or, or his seat in, at, in the Godhead. And so it kind of starts with the humanity and works its way into the divinity. Whereas the gospel of John was actually written, the first verse was in the beginning. You know, it talks about that the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and so John begins his gospel by revealing the divinity of Yeshua and then carrying that into his manifestation as a human. And so it kind of is, a, is, is another shift in the paradigm there. Whereas Luke was actually, you see his gospel kind of, um, highlighting the human condition and how everything Yeshua carried was like a, you know, it was like an um, an antidote for the human condition because he was a physician, and so it's interesting to me to read the gospel from these perspectives of understanding where these men stood, and the the way that they chose so carefully to reveal the reality of Yeshua, and um. You know, I was reading in, uh, this is really, really cool. I was reading in Matthew in, um, in, verse, uh, in chapter 27, in verse, uh, I think starting in verse, you know, around 50. I'm going to read, uh, read this to you real fast. I've got my Bible in front of me. So this is, uh, this is speaking of the crucifixion, the moment of the crucifixion. And all that took place in that moment, and it and it's really cool because it the things that take place actually lead up to the people who witnessed it saying, "Wow, truly, truly, this was the Son of God." And so these things that take place are so supernatural that it moves deeply, so deeply within the hearts of those who witnessed it um, that they changed from their perspective of crucify this man to, oh my God, this was the real actual Mashiach, the real Messiah, the son of God. And, um, so it's so cool, but it says this starting in verse 50, it says this, uh, actually I'll start in 48. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. 
But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Yeshua cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Yeshua, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe, and they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And so I thought it was so cool that what took place was that when he died, when he yielded up his spirit and submitted himself to being destroyed as sin in the flesh, that what happened was that graves were opened and I was joking this morning with my family um, and saying, guys, these are biblical zombies. Literally, what happened is that when Yeshua gave up his life, it's almost like these dead bodies got it back. And so it really speaks to the power of his dying. But I want to highlight something really cool that uh, that I began to really dig into. And it's that, you know, Yeshua, um, Yeshua was, well, let me start here. The beginning of the gospel, so this was written by Matthew. Matthew, again, like I said earlier, writes his gospel from a, from a human perspective. He writes it from beginning with the lineage of Yeshua coming from 42 generations. The first of those 42, gener- the first 14 of those being um, like ancient fathers, desert fathers. And it's a real father and son um, kind of lineage that you can read about in the Old Testament, starting with Abraham. And going to David. Now, when David begins his 14 generations, you see generations of kings, David and Solomon. um, And it goes through these different kings, gets down to Hezekiah um, and Josiah. And uh, uh, the next of the 14 generations is from Babylon, uh, the deportation to Babylon. It begins uh, a lineage of priests. And so you see Zerubbabel and Eliakim and Zadok and Eleazar and all these priests. But then it gets to... Um, Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the father of Yeshua. And so Matthew begins his gospel with genealogy. And I think that's a key. It's not just because I think it was setting the stage for what he was going to reveal. And it's that in chapter 27, it says this, that when Yeshua died and yielded up his spirit, listen to what happened, is that the, the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The earth shook, the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming out of their tombs, revealing themselves in the city. And so the reason why I think that this was said and put this way, this is just, as I, let me remind you, this is the journey that, I'm, that my spirit is being taken on this morning as I just read scripture. And really allow myself to step into it and, and, and have an experiential encounter with what's being recorded here. But I believe that what happened was that Yeshua coming and, um, and really becoming the last Adam, as Paul calls him. He, he shows up as the very last one of the lineage that he came from um, uh, at, that really has to be subject to the human condition. He comes as the very last one. Yahweh intended to send him 
so that he could bring himself to flesh, subject himself to the law, and become the very last human that ever would have to be subject to the biological program called futility, to a biological program that, that was a curse, that subjected people to the natural process and the entropy, if you will, the, the uh, kind of the process of going from order into chaos and from youth into age and from, from sin into death and this destructive, counterproductive process that all of life as we know it had been subject to. I think that what happened was that when he went up on that hill and he gave his life and he yielded up his spirit, the tombs broke open and all these people in the begin that led up to the, from the first chapter, the genealogy of who he is, I believe that all these people were given their lives back. That when he gave his life as the last Adam, he actually returned life back to the original Adam. And here's why. I know this sounds crazy, but go with me here. This, stu- this kind of stuff gives me life. I live for this. Um, <laughs> uh, check this out. In um, I was reading this morning about uh, another account from another uh, from another translation with a kind of a concordance that goes with it that gives details into the historical context of some of these places and these people and these things. Well, get this that um, that the the place where he was crucified in, in Matthew chapter twenty seven verse. 33 it says this when they came unto the place called Golgotha that is to say the place of the skull that's where they crucified him parted his garments casting lots and so this place called Golgotha meaning the place of the skull um, is actually a place outside Jerusalem so it's outside the gate uh, which is what Hebrews 13 12 is talking about that he went outside the gate outside the city to a place where he was given up um, and this actually refers to the, this Calvary, this place of Golgotha, the place of the skull, was memorialized by Hebrew tradition. Get this. They all recognized this same hill where Yeshua was crucified as the same hill where the original Adam was buried. In fact, they went as far as to say that the very first Adam, the first man, was buried on this hill and that they found his skull there. So go with me here. What happens is that Yeshua, who shows up as the last Adam, is carried up on a tov or on a cross. And by when I say tov, I mean the early ancient Semitic form of the Hebrew letter tov, which means a finishing and a covenant and a mark, a sign and a wonder. He went up on a tov and he carried his finish onto a hill called Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull. And he finished the curse of humanity in the very same place where the first man was buried. The bones of the original man that ended up subjecting all of creation to this curse was buried on that hill. And when he gave his life and yielded up the ghost, the tombs were open. And I believe Adam was given his life back. I believe all these saints, all of these people of the lineage, these kings and these priests, they were given their life back and they said that they appeared unto many in the city. And I could just see that these, this, this appearance taken place, that these ancient ones and these, this, this cloud of, a, a great cloud of witnesses began showing up and they became the evidence of Yeshua and his, the authenticity of his sonship and the reality of his godship 
and all this stuff, it really was evidenced by the fact that these people who were once subject to a human condition called death were given their life back. And that's just been so powerful for me to meditate on today. And I wanted to share that with you and really just encourage you when you're reading and engaging scripture, allow it to be so much more than a story in a book. Allow yourself to step into that experiential encounter so that you can walk into a relationship with Yahweh that will really begin to birth things that were, have never before been known or seen. This is what we have access to. So thank you so much today for listening to Wisdom's Echo, a podcast by Origin Gate. I'm Elijah Ward, and I will see you on the next podcast.